Hey guys, welcome back to the My Entertainment World podcast. This is your host, Kelly Bedard. Today we have another installment of the audio version of our nominee interview series. This is the second episode that we've decided to release in audio form. All of our other interviews are transcribed and up on the website in print form and there for you to read anytime you want. There's over a hundred of them this year, so definitely check in. We're updating every day for the next week or so. So be sure to check those out and also check out our Cat Letwin interview, which is the other one that we released in audio form. But today we have an interview with Darren A. Herbert, who is nominated this year as part of the ensemble of Soul Pepper's Father Comes Home from the Wars, um, which is one of our most nominated productions this year. It's up for Outstanding Production, Director uh, for Wayne Magesha, Leading Actor, Dion Johnstone, Supporting Actress, Lisa Berry, Supporting Actor, Oliver Dennis, and of course Ensemble, featuring Darren A. Herbert who is one of my personal favorite performers in the country. He has this insane uh, musical ability, and uh, you'll be able to see him on stage with the Musical Stage Company uh, in May uh, in a production or an adaptation of On Yegan. So that'll be fantastic. Keep your eye out for that. Right now he's on Designated Survivor, if you're a TV person, and he's actually the reigning winner of Outstanding Performance in a Musical for his performance in The Wild Party last year, or two years ago now but he won the award last year so keep an eye out for everything that he's doing and i hope you enjoy the interview make sure you check in with myentertainmentworld.ca for the rest of the interview series and follow us on twitter at my aunt world see you on the other side so last time we interviewed you was way back in 2012 because you were nominated for parade catch us up on holy smokes really yeah Sure, we talked around Wild Party. We didn't. You won for Wild Party. We will get to that. Ah. But we didn't interview you. Oh. Have mercy. Since 20... I don't even remember what, <laughs> everything that's transpired since Parade. But I'm somebody not... did just mention that to me. I think, really? I think I went to an audition and there was a younger actor there. Um, I think his name was Jonathan. He shook my hand and said, uh, I saw you in Parade, you know, some time ago. And, da, 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 and he was, you know, but I was like, that's... I'm thinking to myself, that's a while ago. Yeah, it was 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, so so people, as people still do bring it up. Yeah. It's surprising. It's a great show. Quite the piece. Um, and as I just mentioned, you did win the My Theatre Award last year. So you're the reigning winner for the oh, Wild Party. I, I, ah! <laughs> See? If you're available, you should come present that category at this year's to. party. Yeah. I would love to. Um, so tell us what, what stands out to you in your memory about that production. The Wild Party? The Wild Party. Um, what stands out? Well, it's a show that I've um, dealt with before. I did a production of it in uh, Los Angeles in 2006 when I was fresh out of grad school. And, um, I mean, L.A. theater doesn't pay you anything, so it wasn't about the money, but I was doing that with some heavy weights. Really? I'm talking Daisy Egan, uh, um, who else? Eric Anders, like a bunch, a bunch. Michael Kostra, oh, be- just beautiful performers, awesome. Jane Lanier. And of, and of course, Valerie <laughs> Valerie Pettifer, who was our queenie. But, I mean, I did one of the brothers, Darmano, then, alongside Nathan Lee Graham, who did it on Broadway. He played uh, the, my, the other brother. So, like, my introduction to the piece, and Michael John Lacusa was involved as well. He was part of the process of putting oh, wow. it together at the time. So, and this is all, you know, to me, it was just all, wow, 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 I didn't know anything. I just finished school. I'm like, I'm looking for gigs. I just want to work. Right. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm running around and rubbing shoulders with these folks, and, oh, and um, who was our, oh my God, I can't remember her name now. Sally <laughs> uh, from, oh, from MASH. I'm losing her last name. But she was our, she was our diva, the, the Eartha Kitt part, our Dolores. And um, yeah, I, I'm just doing the show, but the music, I remember the first thing about it that stood out for me was the music and the way he composed it. Never mind going through and reading the poem itself, which was racy in its time, but you know, not so much for us. But I, the, it's just such a beautifully crafted piece, and it ha- the music, <coughs> the music is a blend of the period as well. Like it travels. It's a musical journey as well as a, an emotional one too. So that stayed with me even from then. That was like 2006, mm-hmm. maybe. So, I mean, and then when this one came up, I, I, I touched on one in Vancouver. Somebody mounted one in a, a kind of a CD bar type environment in Vancouver, and I was, uh, I was a cover for that. Thankfully, nobody went out, so I didn't have to go on. But um. I served in the capacity as bartender during the, the course of the shows. So that was pretty, in, that was an interesting vibe too. But then, so when this one came up, I, I was like, 
this is a beautiful show. Excuse me, talking to Mitchell about it. And he's like, it's a beautiful, awesome, fantastic show. And he's like, would you be interested in doing it? What part would you like? And I was like, I'm, I've always been curious about doing Burrs because I did, you know, I did one of the Brothers Del Mano. I, yeah. I, I, when I auditioned for that way back then, I used the, the song, the Golden Boy song, which is, you know, Jack. Well, I didn't call him Jack on the show, but I always called him Jack Johnson. But um, yeah, so the music was already in my in my bones and guts, and you know we got to talking, and then it ended up coming about that we could do the production. So I jumped in full, you know, two feet. Okay, so one of the things that w- made a lot of headlines around that production was the racial casting of mm-hmm. Burrs. Mm-hmm. So that was a part you sort of suggested yourself for, was yeah, that? Yeah, talk, we talked about it. We, yeah? I mean, the, mu- the music, that the stuff that he's required to do, I mean, his journey, the, the songs that he sings in the show, but also, like, the dynamic of the time, like, the, we're talking the 20s, and, like, it's kind of similar to, I, I don't know what to call it, um, they call it a decadent period. It's like post World War One. We're talking so everything, everything's anything, and there's there's feminine w- men, there's masculine women, there's there's even songs about it. People are cross dressed, and there's and then prohibitions kicked into, so liquor is something illegal, but still everyone does it, kind of like weed now, I guess. So there's there's all kinds of things going on, and it's like a, a this kind of explosion of decadence. Women don't have to wear corsets anymore, so they're they're basically naked underneath their one layer dress or whatnot. Have so I mean, it's a very, very open period, sexually, um, uh, philosophically, um, art, art-wise. Everyone's mishmashing, and it seems to be okay. Seems to be okay for a period, but there's still restrictions. There's still undercurrents of like the 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 very um, the, ver- the the kind of vitriol of the racist history of the country, uh, and even it's it's not necessarily welcoming to other people who are white in particular as well, but those things are blending together at this time in this part of New York where we are. And you know, you've got different levels of performers and everybody wants to get a little bit more. Everybody wants, this is pre-crash, pre um, the, the, the 1929, you know, mm-hmm. the, the stock market crash. So it's kind of the peak, I guess, uh, in my mind of, of what American culture could and would be in, in the time. So the fact that uh, it wasn't, to me it wasn't unrealistic that birth could be black because mm-hmm. Black performers couldn't get on stage, for the most part, in a in a role that would make them any money, except if they were in blackface. Yeah, that that was that was an accepted norm among audiences, viewing audiences. So that part's disturbing and uncomfortable, but also true. I mean, like I said, I think around the time, and some like there are people who still put on now. Like we have to go in in certain roles if yeah. if you're going to be a successful black hip hop artist. There are things that you have, like, nobody wants to see you in a suit and tie and talking like you went to Harvard or Yale or uh, Princeton, you know, anything like that. Like, you have, there's, there's, a, there's a certain cachet to being street, to having cred, to having dreads and gold fronts and jewelry and girls with big asses in your videos and expensive, car- like, there's a certain, a whole lot of accoutrements that come with y- the art that you make, which is all completely unrelated and unnecessary, but in order to sell, you kind of have to play that game to a certain extent. So it's not it's not completely foreign in the modern context that an artist would have to kind of sell out or you know put on blackface, perform uh, an idea of what it is to be black on stage for audiences who aren't black. And again, and there would be separate things. You would do different things for a black audience than you would do for an uh, overwhelmingly white audience, you know, which still happens now too, to some extent. So yeah, it yeah it's a compelling element, but not not entirely shocking to me. But I hoped it would be shocking to some in the audience. I mean, at least to spur some conversation, if nothing right. else. Certainly. Hmm. Uh, do you have a favorite moment from, from that production that stands out? From the Wild Party? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot. There are a lot. Um, Sarah Jean was our Kate. We threw down pretty good. Um, I guess towards mid- midway to the end. Some, oh, so many beautiful moments. Because it just keeps it just keeps building. People come in with numbers. People innovate together, duets, solos. The uptown, the uptown number with the brothers Darmano. Mm. That was pretty wicked. That was pretty wicked. That stands out. It fe- it just felt like so much sweat. I just remember sweat, tons of perspiration, smoking that cigarette up on that balcony that they built, climbing up, climbing down, spying on people throughout the course of the night, do- doing my best to shock. Uh, the audience as well as the audience who was on stage with us at the party, you know, mm-hmm. so, so many pieces. 
I guess as as a number, as a musical number, I would say probably Uptown, that trio, because that was difficult to get to get it all together mm-hmm. and make it as if it was just spur of the moment, you know. Right. But yeah, yeah. So many moments. So many beautiful moments. And then from there, you went on tour with If Then. What yeah. What were some of the highlights from the tour? Um, highlight number one, working with Idina Menzel <laughs> and LaShawns and Anthony Rapp. And, I mean, oh, the whole pack. And, and I knew James Snyder already. He was, he was the, one of the male leads on that show. I, we had, he and I had did, uh, done a show together in L.A. when I lived there as well, but after I did the Wild Party there. But just working with all of them, rehearsing in New York, you know, uh, we, did, we did a strange kind of rehearsal process where we did half. We did almost, like, a week, two weeks in New York, and then we went over to L.A. to catch up to Adina because she was just finishing her tour. Mm-hmm. So we went and rehearsed with her in L.A., and then where did we go from there? I think we went, did we go to Colorado? We went to Colorado, teched it, and opened there. So the, the rehearsal process was awesome. The people I got to work with was awesome. Um, Michael Greif as well, the director. Like, just being able to interact with these folks and be like, okay, yes, I fit in here. I'm cool. Like, this is comfortable. I mean, you know, I spent, of course, the first few weeks chewing my nails and <laughs> going over everything like super fast because it, it was like the first five days was just absorbing material mm-hmm. because the show was something that was already built. Right, so it was the original cast, right? <clears throat> for the most part, yeah, most of the league. Yeah. M- the, I pretty much, almost, one, two, three, maybe there were three or four from in the ensemble and the rest of the group who had done it before mm-hmm. I- in, on Broadway. So for the most part, there was, yeah, there was some. So there was a bunch of us who were new and coming into this machine, but you know they rejig they rejig some stuff as well. So there was still new uh, move movements and choreography and kind of technology to incorporate. Like they took out the huge mirror that they had had in New York. I never saw the show in New York, which is good. That's a blessing because I didn't have anything to compare it to. But you know they changed some technological stuff around. They went around and added slides. And again, though, when I walk into these rooms, I don't really know people like that. So. I do my best to just jump in and try to absorb as much as possible. So I heard one day Michael Greif and um, David Alpert, who was the assistant director, they were going out to take some pictures uh, around New York so that they could incorporate them into the slides that we'd later use in the show. And they were talking about the places they were going, and I'm like, what's what's you know what's the Hudson Yards? What's the the East? And and, and they said we're going out to take some pictures. I said, can I come? Can I come oh. with? It, it yeah. was I think it was in the lunch break or maybe the end of day. At the end of our rehearsal day, I said, well, yeah, can I come with you guys? Because I've never seen it. I've never been to this part of the town. I, yeah. When I come to New York, I go to auditions. I do Manhattan. I got friends in Brooklyn. I visit them. But I don't go outside of my regular circle just to see mm-hmm. New York. So I went down with them and over, looked over the parts of the city that we talk about in the show. So I had some visual reference. And I didn't realize just like kind of like what they're planning to do down over the train tracks mm-hmm. here in Toronto where they want to build on top of the tracks and kind of claim the the space, the airspace above. And I was like, this is brilliant. This is awesome. But it, it helped feed what I ended up doing in the show. But like, just, yeah, it, it was awesome. It was yeah. a fantastic experience. What's Adina like? Um, professional, busy, um, very funny. <laughs> <clears throat> and I got to see, I did, I, I got to see what that kind of, what that, lo- what, what comes with that, what comes with being, Adina Menzel, or what comes with being a known quantity in that way, like, you don't really get a lot of time, you, you can't really go out drinking after a show, you can't, because your voice, like, you're all, yeah. and she, she was carrying a lot, she's playing two roles, basically, in the show, so vocally, it's, it was hugely demanding, so there wasn't much time for anything else, so, and we had a few families on tour with us as well, but, you know, when her son came and whatnot, like, you have to manage yourself 24-7, because mm-hmm. you're rehearsing to a certain extent, you're trying to mark, but of course, when we need full, we need full, and it's going to cost you. Every time you open your mouth, it costs something. So you have to be very ju- judicious about when you speak, mm-hmm. sing, all of it, the above. And it, it never stops. It's like a 24-hour thing. So you know you have to save so much to play with my son because he's not going to understand. Mommy can't talk. Like, mommy just has to be so- – that doesn't make any sense to kids. Kids don't really care about that crap. Mm-hmm. So you have to ration some for that, have enough just in case we do a put, you know, for rehearsal times or whatever. And, and then, of course, for the show, you got to be ready to blow it all the way out and come back and suck your lozenge and relax. And then, and then people want autographs and they want to chat. And so you really got to manage like almost minute to minute on a daily basis. So that was that was interesting to observe. Uh, and, and it's something that I had never thought about, even considered before. But when you're an artist at that level, like it's almost like no one will accept. It's not acceptable for you not to be able to perform at peak 
every single show, sick, well, whatever have you. No, it does, nobody cares if you have a cold. You better hit the notes <laughs> when you're on stage that we heard on the soundtrack. Otherwise, we didn't get our money's worth. And you know, on Twitter, blah, 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 blah. like you know, like Mariah Carey and Blue Eve and all of that. People, people get on you fast, so it's it's a it's a pretty heavy responsibility. I got to see that up close. She she carried it well, and with Grace, I mean, it was very it was very rare that we, I, I saw her pushed beyond anything reasonable, and, and to me, it all made sense. So I mean, it would have been perfectly normal if she wanted to melt down on me <laughs> for making a mistake or going back or forgetting you know forgetting an entrance, which I did a few times <laughs> in Colorado. But yeah, yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome working with her, and then of course Jackie, who took over. Mm-hmm afterwards and even Janine who played our Anne in the tour she was the she was the cover for the lead role too so you know I got to do the show with three different leading ladies which was awesome there was one more too I was like ah it would have it would have to take a lot of shit for you to have to go on in this role but that oh that would be fun just just (laughs) to get the different dynamics you know right so yeah what was your favorite uh, city you toured to I liked I liked being in Chicago LA I had lived in before so I was very comfortable there San Francisco surprised me. We were in a pretty rough, we were down in the Tenderloin, but the city itself, I, had, I mean, I'd never spent any time there, so but just the, the hill, you know, the hilliness of it, my wife came and stayed for a little while, and we, we explored it a little bit, we, not as much as I would have liked to, but uh, Colorado, Denver, Denver blew me away, Denver knocked me down, Seattle, I got hit by a car. Really? <laughs> Outside the theater, yes. <laughs> On the last night, the last show in Seattle, uh, I was I came out. It was kind of a somewhat rainy night, and I signed autographs at the door. Whatever. Of course, you know the fan, the fan, that became a, a normal thing. Like I'm not used to that at all. But you'll come out, and then you know people want to take pictures and get you to sign stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, y'all coming to see Adina? And most most <laughs> nights she ain't coming out here, cause you know we got to we got to be on planes and get back. We're, we're going to the next city after this, so we were going to San Francisco after that. So I, I often went out and signed and chatted and took pictures, even though they probably didn't know who who the hell I was or. <laughs> You know, but they didn't care. They just saw us on stage. They're like, yes, yes, a piece of the show. So, so I did all of that. I signed the stuff. I grabbed my gear, and I went to head back to the hotel, which was very close. And the the back the stage door of the theater was on a one way street. So a car went by, and I'm looking this way, and I said, okay, let me jaywalk so I can go up, go up the street and get to the hotel. And I'm walking this way. They're they're back there. I'm giving them a quick wave. And the car, I guess, he decided to reverse because there was also a freeway entrance off to the side. So he must have said, "Oh, I'm not going to wait at the stoplight. I'm going to jump on the freeway." And I, I just remember hearing a sound, and I heard a, I heard screams. So I knew all those people saw, but I didn't know what what had happened. I I just heard I just heard a loud bang, heard some screams, and then my consciousness kind of I guess I was out for a, a moment, but my consciousness returned, and I was somehow on the ground on the ground like this. Like in some kind of shape like this, oh. but I felt my knee felt funny and my face felt funny, and I didn't have my glasses on anymore. And they were quiet by now, but I'm thinking, I think that loud bang was me. <laughs> yep, there's a car there. Let me sit down. And I sat down on the street, on the wet street in the rain a little bit, and just checked to make sure nothing was broken or busted. The only things I could feel was my knee and my lip. And then one of my my the music director, she there was two of my castmates, my music director and somebody else who said they saw me. They said apparently the car hit me and I flew into the air. For a, a little bit, I don't remember any of that. I, I must have been so relaxed and so tired. <laughs> the last thing I did was give them a wave, do my little jaywalk, and I think maybe that saved me. I think my glasses took most of the impact. So the only thing that I had was this big swollen. I have it in my phone, a big swollen uh, lip. So yeah. I ended up going to when I when they, she took me up off the street. And I said, Yeah, let's go back inside because I don't want these people looking at me and worrying and all of that stuff. They're waiting for autographs and stuff. So we went back into through the stage door, and Adina and Lashans were coming right then, and they saw me and they. They started to freak, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. And they're like, yeah, I, I think maybe you're in shock. And I kept checking. The police came. They checked me out. The fire department came. And they said, yeah, you should go to the hospital. I'm like, uh, this is our last night in Seattle. We're catching a flight in the morning. I don't want to do that. But, you know, the company manager was like, let's get all the, the T's crossed and the I's dotted. So we went and spent most of the evening in the emergency. But thankfully, nothing was damaged beyond repair. We did an x-ray and all that kind of stuff. I got some gauze to stick up in my mouth to catch the blood. And, but wow. I mean, nothing nothing too major, but when I showed up to catch the bus to the airport in the morning, my castmates were like, what happened? What happened to you? What's, what's I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's, it looks way worse than it is. My lip was probably the size, maybe trying to approach tennis ball size by then, but I just iced and iced. And thankfully, they had, they had a, um, miscalculation in how long it would take to transport the set via trucks from Seattle to 
San Francisco, like something about the turnaround time wouldn't allow us to go, because that was what, Sunday night? And we were supposed to do a show on Tuesday, but it was too fast. The union rules and all that, the crew couldn't drive it down there, assemble it in time for us to do our show on Tuesday, so we had one extra day. So oh. we ended up doing the Saturday matinee as our first show in Seattle. That was time enough for my lip to get shrink down just enough so that I'm like, I'm good. I could, let's do the show. I went and made sure Dina you saw could, me. You could sing? Oh, hell, I did the show. <laughs> I didn't miss the show. No, 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 no. I was like, this this defeats the whole purpose. I came on tour. I'm not, I'm not sitting out. Are you crazy? <laughs> I came here to do a show. I was like, my knee, my knee's functional. I'm, I'm not limpy. I'm, I don't have to. Everything works. I'm, I'm in a little bit of pain, but I chug a couple of painkillers, ice the shit out of this lip, and then show, make sure Dina sees. So the first time she sees it, it's not on stage, and she goes, whoa. So I'm like, this is what I look like. She was like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. She's like, wow, I can hardly know. Good, let's go. And don't kiss me on this side. And off we go. <laughs> and bam, you know? So we just kept showing, but yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that's an insane story. <laughs> yeah, um, it, was an, it was an adventure. Tempe, Arizona was interesting too. I like, there's so many cities that I had never been to, so yeah. I, I enjoyed getting to see parts of the states you right, know, that yeah. I hadn't seen before. We went to St. Louis, I went to the uh, Underground Railroad Museum in Cincinnati, in Ohio. That was pretty, that was a powerful experience. A lot of the things that they had in there, I hadn't, I hadn't seen before, I didn't know about. Um, Cleveland we went through too, my wife loves Cleveland. Certainly my favorite, but hey, they got LeBron James and you know oh, that right. baseball yeah. team who shall not be named by me anyway. But you know, did they win? No, the Cubs won. Yeah. Good. <laughs> that's Anthony's team too. Oh my God, they made me on that tour. That's they made me a Toronto Blue Jays fan on that really? tour. I didn't even follow baseball before I went on that tour. Because they were so annoying. They were following. <laughs> yeah, because they were following the 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 you know the progress of the World Series. Oh, and right. when we when we opened the show it was around what was it like October September October. In, in Colorado, and they were watching all the, you know, the games and everything, and it was like, oh, I'm from this one, so I'm Kansas City, oh, I'm this, I'm, he, he was big time Chicago, they're like, you're from Toronto, okay, so Blue Jays is your team, I'm like, oh, okay, and then I started following the games, right. it, back in the, in the lounge, in the, you know, in the green room and everything, so every time the Blue Jays were playing one of the other teams, we'd be ribbing each other, and there'd be banter and all of that, but Toronto kept winning, and winning, and winning, and I was like, ha, and then I was thinking, man, I should have had some merchandise. I should come around. I should just walk in a Blue Jays cap every time I come out <laughs> the, the stage door. Because, I mean, you know, they, they were representing well Toronto. Yeah. And then they did the back toss versus Texas and all of that. This was all during my tour. So every every one of those moments in those games, it was me in the in the green room going, yeah! <laughs> and, other, and other members of the cast going, you know. I don't think we had many Texans, Texas fans. So, But they were happy with that back toss as well. But right, yeah. during the course of that tour, I that was a kind of a connection to home because you know it can it can get a little disorienting. Yeah, you're, you're on the buses or the planes or something every you're, every week. You're changing cities at some time. Sometimes we'd sit down for a month or maybe two weeks in one city, but other times it'd be one week and then we're out. One right. week and then we're out. One week and then, so like holding on to the the game schedule was kind of a way to stay in touch. And right, you know, yeah, just to keep contact. So and of course I follow Arsenal Football Club in London too. So between those games. I was like, okay, today's Tuesday. I know that because Arsenal's playing. Tonight, the Blue Jays play. Okay, yes. And we're, you know, tracking the days that way. Was it cool to get to tour? Like, you're on a national tour, so you're supposed to be a guest in every city, and then you come to Toronto mm -hmm. on the tour. I, I was loving that. We managed to shape it in such a way that once I came to Toronto, I didn't have to leave again. So the tour continued on without me, and I stayed here. So um, we, wor we worked it out. So that was kind of perfect. But getting back home... It was a different vibe, and then going, but going to work was still going to work every night. But it's just yeah. I get to go home after, like so. I, I would hang with my my comrades and everything, but I, I guess the dynamic changed somewhat in that I'm not in the hotel with them. So, but we right. still have poker nights on Thursday. <laughs> that's another big thing that Anthony loves on tour. Like he, he was the he was the big de he was the dealer, and you know he would, <laughs> he would set it up every city. We'd find a room in a hotel or somewhere that we could all meet and play poker on Thursday nights and. I think they do it in New York, too. Really? Yeah, they have a regular one. They were like, when you come to New York, you have to come to Poker Night in New York. I'm like, y'all are serious with this poker? <laughs> I, like, I, didn't, I didn't like poker. I didn't know anything about poker before that. But it was a chance for us to you know, just get together and hang out at, outside of work. And you know, we were our own family. Like We were the, sometimes the only ones we knew in a certain area, depending. I mean, different cities, there were people who had family and friends there, too. So we had like minimal outside connection. But that, that, that was just a way for us to stay connected. And it was cool. It worked for me. I mean, I, I meant mainly for the camaraderie. I was always losing money. I think I came <laughs> runner-up once. I think I finished runner-up once. I never won, 
but I, I can't. I was down into the final two one night in San Francisco, so that was my best performance poker wise. Other than that, I'm just giving my money away. Re ups. Anthony, Anthony Rapp has all your money now. Oh, <laughs> he has a he he did, and he's good at it too. So that's he why would, he keeps doing he would it. Often, yeah, he'd often finish in the top three, top four. So he he'd end up with some money at the end of the night. So he has a lot of my money, but a bunch of the others do too. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So you, you come back to town, and then you're immediately, well, not immediately, but then you're involved in one of our most nominated productions this year, Father Comes Home From Wars. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved with that show? Um, I think, I don't know, I can't remember the, the very beginning, the genesis. I remember there was an inquiry, and I, kn- I knew, I had never met Wayne before, Wayne Mangeshin, or, or worked at Soul Pepper before, so I didn't really know any of that family of uh, artists before then, but I'm, I how it came through maybe it came through my agent maybe it came through official channels but uh, I knew Wayne's name I knew of Wayne's name and I had I also study I, I take regular acting classes even now like last night I was in class at uh, Lonsdale Smith Studios and Wayne's husband studied there too so I think we had been in the room the same maybe a month maybe it was the month I came back maybe did I take class right away either the the month after the tour so maybe april may somewhere around there and ian was in class so i was in class with ian i had known about wayney's name as a director she's one of the few black directors in the city in canada in general you know her phil aiken uh, even nigel you know like there's there's a few mm-hmm. so and i like that's that's on my that's on my bucket list that's my mandate i gotta work i gotta work with more uh black directors but uh, diverse d- directors in general but definitely if there's black to work directors, black writers, black artists, I got to, I got to do some work. I got to, I just got to. There's no way I can come and keep just being the only one in this thing or the only, or this is a special thing. Like we're, ooh, we're flipping this, the casting for you. Like I don't, I don't really like that. I don't enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that should be a big deal anymore. But it's a big deal for me to be able to work with her. So I was like, uh, yes, please. At yeah. the very least, uh, I would like to be in the room because she's going to be at the auditions. I would like to meet. So we read and we did some stuff and you know. Did, did that process and um, yeah we hit it off like I just I love the way she works I love I love and even Albert like you know he, he he's a very slick character <laughs> that Albert so when he loves you up you feel loved right away but also just the soap the way soap pepper is built and you know the, the people that work there, there's just a wicked energy a cool energy so I was I was happy to jump in in um, into that show and of course the art itself I mean Susan Laurie Parks I have known about her since even college, since undergrad. Like they, they did a few of her pieces, and they're they're heady, they're thick, but they tell they tell a story, they tell the story, they tell. It feels like they tell my story, they tell our story, you know, in a way that's uh, thick, textured, humorous, poetic. Like it just al- all all the elements I love, you know, musical without even singing, you know what I mean? So there, it touches on so much that it, it feels like it, it call it it calls it calls forth a legacy. It bring it, it allows me to bring all of my cultural cachet, you know, musically from being from Bermuda, which is has lots in common with being from the West Indies. Excuse me, which has a ton in common with being uh, black in North America, even in England. So it it just feels like a lot of pieces get to be released on stage. So that piece right there, it, it pulls it out. And you know, the the group we spent we spent days in tears in rehearsal. During that piece, I mean, during that time, the like even when I was on tour, police brutality, Black Lives Matter, all of that was like at fev- at a f- pretty good fever pitch. Mm-hmm. But there, w- there was at least there was one day in rehearsal. I think there was two black men, two unarmed black men who had gotten killed within the same week while we were in rehearsal. And we had been t- I mean, we talk about this stuff as we're going through doing script analysis, trying to figure out what this beat means, what this refers to, what this harkens back to, how this you know sounds. But there was like. There was like one the week before, and then two more. The same, like we just couldn't. Fu- I just couldn't function in the beginning of the day. I walked into the room. I was like carrying it, listening to the music, and Akosia goes, "How are you?" That's all she said to me. "How are you?" Burst out crying, tears leaking out, weeping like a kid, and people are looking like, "What happened? What's the matter? What, what's wrong?" And you know, and then you know, it started to filter through the room, and like, uh, like. I didn't. I didn't want to look at anybody else, but I was looking at everybody, and tears were starting to stream. And people, and we just kind of had to hold each other for a moment. Just stop, 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 stop working. This is why we're doing the job we're doing. This story is telling. This story, the dots are connected, and 
it's our it's kind of a duty, our job, our, uh, an obligation, but not a painful one, an obligation to make sure we, we do this right. We tell the story right because we're telling the story of the line from the time of this play, maybe even before, up till now. Like the chain is unbroken. This is this is a, a, a firmly linked chain to right now. So we, we are we are obliged to make sure we do this as to the best of our ability. You know, so the piece the piece had that element to it, just responsibility. Like it's fun and games, there's joy in it, there's comedy, there's heaviness, there's history, there you know, there's a bunch of stuff and I'm like, I know I hate to feel responsible for what people get from it. Because sometimes I can look and I'm like, I don't know that this audience is going to get all of this, but my prayer is that something, something gets jarred. Enough gets moved that people go, Ugh, I don't, I don't like that. Why don't I like that? Oh yeah, it, I feel it. That has something to do with me. Like something uncomfortable here. This, this is not right because I can see that 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 is connected to this, you know. And I can see that e even Desmond Cole right here in Toronto. Like I can see how this is connected to him and connected to Black Lives Matter sitting down at Pride and you know police and I can, I can see the links, I can see how it makes sense. So, so much so that they would not feel obliged to jump up and say, what do you mean, all lives matter? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Did you feel a bit of a disconnect though with uh, you know, this sort of freeing experience of getting to work with a black director with a predominantly black cast, mm. but then uh, even though the audience was more diverse than Soul Pepper usually draws, mm. it was still a Soul Pepper audience. Yes, yes, but I mean that's theater in general for for me. Like uh, I've been at it here in Canada for a little while, and that, I mean the quote unquote the subscriber bases, if you will, mm -hmm. is going to be mostly older white people. Mm -hmm. That's a given. Those are the ones who keep the doors open. Those are the ones who buy the the season, you know, the subscriptions, the mm -hmm. tickets. They come to the, all the events on the side, the concerts, the everything. So those are the people to whom. Uh, the content is geared, you know, yeah. and um, I'm going to I'm going to guess. I'm, I mean, I'm not an artistic director. I don't think I could do what Albert. I don't know. I could not do what Albert does. I could not do what Mitchell does. I could, you know, many of them. Well, maybe I could, but I don't think I'd want to. <laughs> uh, so, but they have to manage a lot. You know, they have to balance a lot. They have to walk all these tight ropes. They have to satisfy sponsors. They have to. Uh, uh, make sure that the audience is catered to that you know they can't they can't get a whole bunch of emails and say yeah you got a lot of that content here you know I mean they can't the audiences can't spend the whole season feeling uncomfortable and feeling like I'm connected to why those people sat down at black light like they they just they, that's not gonna send that's not gonna keep the cash flowing mm -hmm. so to an extent I understand that but most of the time I mean most theater when I do it in Vancouver Saskatchewan Calgary wherever I go it's gonna be a typically older white audience those are the people who come to the theater a lot. I would like for that to be different. I would like it to change. I'm trying to do my small part, mu much like uh, Albert is, Mitchell is. I mean, Passing Strange is coming right now. You see it tonight. I'm going to, <laughs> not tonight, but I'm going, I'm going. I'm so excited. So many people I know and, and love and the show itself, beautiful. Oh, I hope I hope you have the best time. But yeah, it's, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a, it needs to be evolving. To be frank, we're way behind. Like this is 2016. People have been talking about this stuff since the 60s. It's since 2017. 2017, it is, <laughs> oh my God, it's 2017. And people have been talking about this since the 90s and we're still only this far, we're like, it's almost to the point where people have, okay, let, let's try quotas. Cause we've been talking about it, we've been having diversity panels, we've been, ha we've been doing all of this stuff, it's still only moved this much. Mm -hmm. And I'm still showing up to rehearsal and being like the only black one in the room mm -hmm. and going, what? And, and, it, and that's something extraordinary. And I'm like, it shouldn't be. There's like, there's artists of all kinds. There, there's brilliant artists of all backgrounds, colors, shades, creeds, sexuality. In in our community, they've always been here. They've not, you know, it, it's never. There's we've never had a dearth of awesome artists or even mediocre ones. Because there's a lot of mediocre artists who get work all the time too. Many of them being white. I'm like, well, you you can have just as many mediocre mediocre brown and uh, red and black. You know what I mean? Yeah. Artists as well. There's no reason for it other than the fact that it's an old entrenched habit. So stop it. Just it's not tradition. Don't call it traditional casting. It's not a tradition. Old Lang Syne is a tradition when you when New Year's comes in. You know, Santa Claus at Christmas is a tradition. This shit is not a tradition. This is a policy. It's a habit. Like at one point, it was illegal for black people to be on the stage at the same time as white people. There was a like there was a distinct line drawn between us on purpose, going back to Wild Party. Like you would, I would only get on stage if I was in blackface. Mm -hmm. So there's a traceable line of policy which dictated that the artist had to be white. We're not there anymore. We don't have to do that shit anymore. So stop it, everybody. Stop. Do something different now. 
like even if it has to be by force like I'm not doing that anymore like I'm actually making that a policy in my accepting or my choices of work like if I'm the only one it's probably not going to happen if you don't have a diverse if you don't have a diverse group of people behind the table on the stage like in the, like because there's no reason there's no dearth like I said like everyone's out here so if I show up and I'm the only one that that that's that's not comfortable for me anymore I can't it's not acceptable it shouldn't be acceptable for you but if it is, I'm going to help you by removing myself from the equation. Yeah. You can add someone else to your pie, you know, because right. I, d I don't want to be the reason that you get your, d your diversity points and funding from mm -hmm. outside bodies because I smell the game now. I see, I see what you've been doing. I, I'm, I'm happy to be working. I'm happy to present beautiful art to all Canadians and all of that, but I need you to do your part. I need you to start changing. Not start. I need you to change because the start should have happened in the 1960s. It didn't. It hasn't. We're here now, so now I'm forcing the hand in as much as I can. I'm one guy, I'm just, you know, I'm just one artist, but I'm doing my part to compel you to do something different. You know what I mean? So I'm not gonna go quietly alone. You know, that, that's my little tiny, teeny contribution at least, you know? Like I'm not in the streets with Black Lives Matter. Doing, and I don't know why, because I should be. I'm not too old. I can still, I can still march, I can still scream, I, you know? <laughs> I can do all of that, I can participate, but this is, this is my way I participate through my art. You know? Um, how powerful was it to be in a room that was not only led by a black director, but was almost entirely a black cast? Um, I've done it before. Uh, not necessarily in Toronto. No, we did the wild part. Uh, we did uh, um, uh, on this island. Once on this island. Yeah. Acting up. Most of the time it's with acting up, too. Points, points. And Mitchell obsidian. gets points. Thank obsidian. obsidian. Yep. And they, they, yeah, they do stuff together all the time. I think that's a marriage made in heaven. Mm -hmm. You know, I know sometimes they go, people must get tired of seeing us get together and do these shows, and then they should. No, I don't. No, I'm not tired. I, I love y'all. Thank y'all for doing it. I, yeah. I'm gonna express appreciation to Acting Up and Obsidian. You know, the whole family and crew, and also Soul Pepper too, because they're, you know, he's he's pushing hard. Like there are people who are pushing. You know, they they feel it. They can tell the difference. They you can look when they look on their walls and all the pictures from past productions, and it's all nothing but a sea of white people. You gotta go, ooh, you know, like that. Some something's something's funny with these optics. This is interesting. Do we want, do we want Canadians in here or do we want white Canadians in here? Like we're we're making a statement with our history and our, you know, our legacy. You can see it. You can just see it on the walls. So, let me do something about this. Let's let's make these walls different. Let's make that stage different. Let's make this costume shop different. Let's make these offices different. I'm like, so you know, that takes work. I know, like. What is, what is it somebody was saying in class last night? Um, well, people say it all the time, but to, to uh, when you're privileged, you know, when you're in a, posi a position of privilege, equality feels like oppression. It feels mm -hmm. like somebody's forcing you to do something. It feels like somebody's trying to make you, uh, and they're taking something away from you, so it feels uncomfortable. I get that, but you still gotta go through it. <laughs> I like, I, I, you're, you're on your own there, you're right, I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't wear those shoes. I'm not coming from a, necessarily a position of privilege to a position of having to invite someone else in and feel like I'm giving up something mm -hmm. in a way. Well, I could, being male, my male privilege. Mm -hmm. So I could identify to an extent. You're straight, you're male, you're able-bodied, you're hey. English speaking. Check, 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 right? check, check. So yes, I could, I could understand it to an extent. Still has to be done, painful. Mm -hmm. However painful, however uncomfortable, it's just right. It's the right thing to do. If we don't, like we've already seen what the result is the other way. Like mm -hmm. we open the door for stuff like what we're seeing happen around the world, not just down south either. People, people, people are trying to isolate it, and I'm not going to call his name either. But you know, it's a it's a gong show. But I was on the phone with my mom this morning, who lives in in England, and she was like, "Yeah, uh, it's a two-edged sword." And I was like, y "You're talking about Brexit, right?" She says, "Yes." I said, "Okay, well." I don't know what I could do. I said, well, the first thing you can do is stop denying it. It's not a two-edged sword. There's only one edge, and it's bad. It's a bad edge. Like, the reason for it, the people who, who constructed it, and the results, it's all bad. There is no plus side. She was telling me because the prices went up so dramatically in shops like Sainsbury's and stuff. She was like, yeah, it didn't just go up by, like, 50p. It went up, like, three pounds. Like, you know, prices went up exponentially because, we're, because we removed ourselves from the European Union. Mm -hmm. So people are charging the, the costs. And I didn't even think of that kind of thing, but she's seeing it on the ground, like already, almost overnight. And I'm like, yeah, that's the sword, but I don't see what the plus side. So there's not a two, it's not two-edged. That's the edge right there, the edge that costs you money. And there's gonna be other uh, instances where it's gonna cost you something. I almost wanted to say, so be careful, mom, because you're, you know, you're in England, 
you know, you're a little, you're a little black, quote unquote, West Indian lady, as far as they can see from the outside. So like, there's there's certain bodies of people who are fed up with your presence, just being there. There are people who love you. You're in you're in a comfortable community. You have friends and loved ones as well. But there there are some not so nice people who are walking the streets and feeling a bit more free now that Brexit has happened. Now that so and so has been elected. Now that you know, so and even in Canada, like you can feel the bubbles and you can see things changing too. People are starting to speak up in certain ways. There's friends of mine posting pictures saying, "Look, we have to head this off at the pass because he wants to get leadership of the Conservative Party and da 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 da, da. and we have to head this off. Like he he's taking cues from this. Like everybody's been inspired by each other, and now they're saying we shall rise up and hold the phone, hold the phone, time out, time out. No, we, we're not interested in going back to the 50s. The 50s were not nice for people who look like me. I know for perhaps for you it was very pleasant, popcorn, apple pie." playing hockey outdoors and all that shit. It wasn't necessarily fun for people who did not look like you all, like like that wall, the old wall at Soul Pepper. It, w- it wasn't necessarily fun for the people who w- weren't on that wall. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're not trying to jump in no time warp with y'all. Let's, let's, let's try to figure out an, a different kind of chemistry where we can all get some joy mm-hmm. and also live life to the fullest, you know? So, yeah, it's, we, we live in interesting times. Yeah. And pieces like that are definitely more and more necessary. Certainly, and getting away, having more black characters on stage really Mm. eliminates the idea of tokenism and this idea of Mm. the one person representing an entire group. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I really noticed in in Father Comes Home From Wars is the fact that we had you and Dion together, who are sort of, quote unquote, the same type, you're around the same age, same physical type, all that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And you were able to play two very distinct characters in a way that white men have had the privilege of doing for years. Mm-hmm. And really showing those differences. How, in your cast as foils, t- talk to me a little bit about creating that sort of parallel but opposite kind of uh, feeling with that, with Dion and with your character of Hero and Homer. Yeah. Um, I think the majority of it, Susan Laurie Parks did from Jump, mm-hmm. and just in the way that she created and wrote these guys. Um, we are, yeah, you're right. Dion and I are very similar, and he's aw- he's an awesome actor too, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, very similar in that way. Uh, the characters were made that similar on purpose, you know, from from the get go. So it's kind of it's kind of a way of saying, telling the story almost. I hate to keep doing it that way because they're the, the only names that people refer to, but even Malcolm and uh, Martin, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, much much like the X-Men is supposedly based off of them as well, as in Professor X being the Martin Luther King way of dealing with oppression and Magneto or Eric Lencher being the, the Malcolm X method of dealing, you know, any means necessary versus, no, we can do it peacefully. We can love them into loving us back. We can love them so hard that they have no choice. And him going... Yeah, while you're loving, they're, they're cracking our heads with sticks and blowing fire hoses and sticking dogs on us. That ain't cool. I'm going to break some shit up. Like, you know, so those dynamics. And then kind of watching watching that play out because we both kind of came up together. We both were raised, born, reared, uh, worked to death and all that together. And, like, you can see uh, the tangible results of, I guess, choices, the choices you make as you go through life trying to navigate this stuff because you're living in an unsafe environment. You, you're supposed to love the person who's who's abusing you on a daily basis. It's kind of like that, that like somebody made a joke and they said, America, to black people, America's like the uncle that, that brought you great presents at Christmas and sexually abused you every year. So you're like, uh, 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 what? Like there's gifts and there's torment co- going on. So you can see kind of the results of that strange uh, the, the psychosis that that creates in both those characters and the other ones as well. The other the other um, people on the plantation, the other, um, I don't want to keep calling them slaves, but we were they were slaves, but also um, Africans. Like, we're, we're African people. So the other Africans on the plantation, it causes all kinds of strange stuff from the oldest old man, the way that he uh, looks at the world, the way he views the world, and this is how you can get ahead. This is how you can make things better for yourself. Don't worry about that. And then you got the dynamic of, well, if if one of us can get out and escape, that would inspire the others. Much much like how, you know, the 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 election went for Mr. So and so. We're like, if one can do it, then the other ones go, see, see, it works if we stay true to our, our ideals. But so you have that that dynamic between Homer and Hero in the play where Hero's trying to do the right thing, always, the right thing, even even if his master is not 
exemplifying what the right thing is. He, he knows what's right. He knows what's right. But so too does Homer. I know what's right, and he's not doing it. So why should we play by the rules that they're laying down? And they're not even playing by the rules that they're laying down. That makes no sense. And he's going, I, I hear what, and you know, Hero's saying back, I hear what you're saying, but that's no reason for me not to, to, to I, I have to believe that eventually, like, he, he'll see the difference. They're going to see the error of their ways. They're going to know how, how genuinely uh, uh, noble we are, how, how equal we are, how we're just as human as they are. Eventually, they will catch on. And Homer's like, bruh, I got half a foot. You chopped it off. He made you do it. Like, what do you mean? Eventually when? when? When we have no feet? When we have no arms? Like, how long do you wish to wait? I, I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't make sense. It's not bearing fruit. There, isn't, there are no fruit to be fruits to be had here. Any fruits that there are, he eats by himself. He doesn't share it with us. Maybe he gives you a little. You get crumbs, but the rest of us don't get crumbs. So you're telling me that it's better for you to keep going the way you are and survive this and kind of maybe have a future for your kids, but what would that future be if you were to have kids? Versus taking a chance and going into the unknown, running away and seeing what kind of life you can make for yourself, if any, out there, and risk death, risk not having any life at all. You'd rather do this than that. Well, brother, I'd rather do that than this. So I love you, but that, that's the part that makes it so, so such a dynamic, such a, a synergistic and yet almost parasitic relationship between the two, where I love, but I, because I love you. I don't want you to, to make the wrong choice. That's what that's what's Homer saying to Hero, but that's also what Hero's saying to Homer. So they both think they're right, and they keep. I want I want to I want to save you. I want to save you. Like no, you, you want to save yourself. Yes, I want to save myself, and through saving myself, save everybody else as well. And you know, so there's just like two different methods, trying to achieve the same thing, which is uh, self sovereignty, just freedom to choose, freedom to be myself unfettered by someone else's idea of who or what I should be or can be and making and ensuring that they profit from my quote unquote freedom. Like I, I, I just want to be, I just want to be me in the world the same way you are you in the world unfettered. So that it's just two different manifestations of that deep desire. And it's the, what the denial of it has done to them. You know? Yeah. And Susan Laurie Parks writes in such stylized, sort of poetic language. Is that difficult to master and execute as it sort of casually? <laughs> well, there's a, there's a talking dog. There, there's, he was <laughs> here the other day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, a, there's a talking dog. So there you go. Difficult? Um, not for me. The poetry, somehow, the poetry made sense to me. That has from, something from to do the with musical theater? The, I think so, maybe. The music, because that's what I was going to say, the music of that play made sense to me from day one for some reason. Like, there was stuff I had to look up and things I had to, you know, figure out what this was a reference to directly or indirectly. But for the most part, that music, that music's already here. And I, I don't, I, I suspect, I don't know, you'd have to ask everybody else, but I suspect there's pieces of that music in all of us. Like, the way she, she wove it in in such a way that it refers back, because Akosia is Ghanaian. So I, I would love for you to ask her the same question and see what her response is as well. Be like, oh, I recognize some of the music in this, even though, because she, she would she would revert and she would start doing her dad in a minute. Like, of course, yeah, these people don't, you don't change your name for these people. You know, like they, they can they can learn how to say all those names of the people who lives on Ron, on Ronce's Vales. They can learn how to say Akosia. Yeah. It's not it's not a it's not a difficult name. It's not a bizarre name. It's not it's not it's weird. Phonetic. Yeah, it's not <laughs> weird. They, they you teach them once. Now they can go off and say it like we have to learn how to say Gretzky and, you know, all the other all the other interesting names. Milos Raonic and, you know, all of that. So it's, it's not no, it's not unusual at all. Your name is your name. And we are not going to. I mean, she was talking about having a go an argument with him about it. But. The, the music, the, just the music of, of life, the, she captured it somehow. She captures it, and it speaks, I th it speaks definitely directly to me. I'm going to guess that it spoke to many of my castmates as well. I mean, Peter's Ugandan, and oh, my God, like, we were all from different places. Somebody asked us at a talk back, too, and I didn't realize how many of us were not necessarily born in Canada or definitely not our parents. So, like, I'm not first generation. I'm an immigrant. But some of them on the stage with me are first generation Canadians. And, but they know where their parents are from. They, you know, there's still elements of the accent and the sound and the smell in their household. So they, like that, that poetry. I don't, I don't know if it ever goes away. You know, I have, I have cousins who are ca like gener Canadians, maybe first, maybe second, 
second generation Canadians too. Like it, it would be interesting to hear their take and be like, yeah, I recognize. I heard my dad. I heard my, you know, I heard my uncle. I heard my aunts. I heard my, yeah, it'd be interesting to, to figure that out. But I'm also very, I'm always curious what, what the not, the not, not so necessarily African community was hearing from it too, musically speaking, like what parts of it it caused that resonance that went in, inside or went ding, 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 ding. And like, oh, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. What did they just say? That kind of stuff. You know, I'm, I'm always curious how that impacts. But that's, that's not my priority. You know, my priority is everybody be jarred, be disturbed, make some changes, you know, talk amongst yourselves. Don't go back to sleep now that we've poked you, poked the bear like that. Don't go back, go back outside and go, oh. That was amazing. Let's go have something to drink and forget all of You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know. Yeah, well, even just if you look at the programming of that Soul Pepper season, it was Father Comes Home From Wars was programmed opposite 39 Steps mm. with this sort of like, and here is your break. Here is the fun. Mm. And here's uh, a doll's house, too. A doll's yeah. house is in the same space. Yeah. Uh, which is a very interesting uh, program. It was an overwhelmingly white production. Mm. Um, and it was what almost... Was? Doll's House. Oh. Yeah. And it was has uh, an interesting balance. And the idea of like needing a break and needing... And here you can go see 39 Steps and, and sort of yeah, this recover. Is a, I can tell this is a lot for you. Like, yeah. We're doing we're doing something to you that you're not used to. So here, have a, have a taste of this. It's a wonderful life. Right. Like, yeah. But again, I, I recognize it. I've seen it before. I kind of have a, a sense of what it is, but so, so too do you. Mm -hmm. So... That it, some evolution needs to happen. Yes. If it doesn't, devolution happens. Absolutely. As we've seen. So, you know, evolve. Let's all evolve. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even in, as you were talking about in the, in the previous question, uh, there is so much diversity within the black community. Like, you are mm. not from the same place. You no. are not the same quote-unquote culture, really. Mm -hmm. um, I went to AfroFest for the first time <laughs> during that, uh, during, was it during the run? I think so. It happened during our run. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, how far do we have to go? What, what are th some of the ways that we can improve till we, till we get to the point where we can start exploring the diversity within the black community, let alone celebrating having one black guy on the stage as being diversity? And going, look, see, it's yeah. different. The show is now suddenly amazingly, miraculously, brilliantly different. Mm -hmm. Come and see this new take that's very, ah, Ringling, you know, Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, which just closed down. But um, how far? Um, I, c I couldn't say with any sort of authority or confidence, just because the conversation's been going on so long. Do you know where, what are some steps we should be taking? Oh, good grief. <laughs> Sorry, you don't have to answer. No, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain. The, I, feel, I feel like we're taking them, teeny tiny ones. Like for, for impatient folks like me, uh, that I've uh, like I'm you know I'm I'm in my 40s now so that approach and I'm I'm I'm, sh I'm sure if you ask uh, Philip a Phil Aiken or someone you know he's like yeah I've been on these panels these diversity panels with theater company I'm like I'm not I'm just not gonna do them anymore like I've been doing this since 19 da -da 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 -da, you know and now we're in 2017 people are still like people do something they have a quote unquote misstep they feel badly about it they get in public like it happened at uh, what was it camp stage. stage. You know, they have a misstep and they don't they don't know that it's a misstep. Like, what are you all talking about? This have you seen our and then there's a bl explosion of some sort and then people go, okay, let's have some panels. Let's let's try to educate. Let's re-educate ourselves and then like, bruh, the internet has been here for a hot minute. Google has been here for a hot minute. You you there's books all up in the library. Like I went up, I just I just took out Andrew Moody's play. I'm workshopping the real McCoy which Andrew Moody wrote. It's a play he wrote in like 2000, I don't know, something. Like at least a decade ago, he's now adapting it to a musical. We're workshopping it. Like I'm working on it next week, making it into a musical as well. But like the book has been there on the shelf since. You mean don't, don't come to this musical and say this is your first encounter with Elijah McCoy. This is your first encounter with Andrew Moody. This is your first encounter with Darren Herbert. Like, this, I mean, Darren Herbert maybe, because I'm new. So you can, you can get a pass. You can get a pass. I, I've only been in Canada since 2007, so you can get a pass on Darren Herbert. That's 10 years, so that's new. But Elijah McCoy, like, 
This, they got stamps. I was watching this thing. I was on a flight. I think it was on a flight. Yeah, I was on an airplane on the on Air Canada, I think. And they have the uh, t like TV, Air Canada TV or whatever. And I was watching this thing, this documentary this guy made about being Canadian uh, on there. I forget his name. He's, he's a comedy writer. He's lived and worked out of L.A. for a while, but he drove across Canada trying to figure out what being Canadian. You see yeah, it? I've seen it. What, what it's about. And the, like the stuff... The people that he talked to, of course, most of whom are white Canadians. There's like, there's a couple of uh, Asian Canadians. You get points. You still, you get points. They're brown. You get points for that. But I, I noticed the absolute zero black Canadians involved. There was maybe one guy, and he didn't speak much at all. But the the part that sweeted me was that he grew up in Calgary, and you know he's a product of John Ware High School in Calgary. And I'm thinking to myself, you you, you all know who John Ware is was right I'm, I'm i'm hoping it like he's interviewing everyone michael j fox the the sutherlands uh, uh alex trebek who i didn't even know was canadian uh thick you know the late uh, alan thick and you know he's interviewing all these folks uh he, he don't have to interview drake that's fine I'm, I'm that don't make no difference to me but i'm like but please tell me at least a few of you <laughs> in this thing who are from calgary Products of a school called John Ware School. Please tell me you know at least a little bit about who that man is. Because I'm Johnny Come Lately. I've only been here since 2007. And I know who John Ware was. I know his legacy on that coast. I know about Black Nova Scotia. Some of the, the history of Black Nova Scotia beyond Viola Desmond, who's on a stamp as well. Please tell me <laughs> you're not raising your children with this gap in their knowledge where they could actually go to the school, graduate from the school, be out in the world doing Canada proud and not know who this man is or was. That is a problem. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I had to suggest some steps that need to be taking, taken, that's, that's a case in point right there. I watched the whole documentary and that, that was about the biggest piece of Black Canadiana that was included in it, it's a pretty big deal to me. Clearly, not to anybody else. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Let's let's make it a big deal somehow. But please don't put me in charge of making it a big deal for you. I think you know we're we're, we're all working hard at the thing. I can I can come. We, we you know we can we can pass like ships in the night. Be like, hey hey, you're here too. Great yeah. There's this book in the library too. Check this one out. Okay, I'm on my way over here. I gotta learn this. I got you know I gotta figure out what's going on in the West Coast because I heard some Nova Scotians were in Victoria and you know British Columbia and I don't know much about that at all. I'm gonna get my knowledge and and I'll, I'm gonna stop by Haraguay too on the way because I don't know that much about them and you know I, I just I just met some folks from the you know like the nations. I want to know this nation is different from this nation and Blackfoot in this part of Calgary who are standing up against the pipeline and you know the, the, I got a couple friends on the front line. I don't really know much about that, but you know I'm new so I'm trying to fill my knowledge. But you're not new. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not telling, if you're not helping me learn that stuff, like you want me to help you learn about Joan Ware? What? <laughs> get your ass to the library. Get get to the library. Get get on the internet. Do your homework because it's a very compelling story. And by the way, if we're gonna make TV series too, hello, there's subject matter there for you all to draw from. You know, I love the hell out of Kim's Convenience. Murdoch Mysteries has been on for a minute. I'm not, you know, I'm not picking fights. I'm not trying to pick fights. But if you compare, you know, evolution is happening. TV is evolving. You know, you got stuff happening. You got your Westworlds. You got your The Wire. You got your, you know, This Is Us. You got your, you got your The Crown, even. It's big money stuff happening, too. Y'all got to open the floodgates. Game, Game of Thrones. Hello. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Open the floodgates. Y'all can't be staying stuck on Murdoch Mysteries for 20 years and bragging like that's some kind of milestone. You can't put that up next to Game of Thrones. You can't put that up next to This Is Us. You can't put that up next to the wire and say, you know, that's not a, that's the opposite of evolution. So I just want to point that out. You know, I, it does upset me. I don't want to upset you, but I do want to jar you into action. You know what I'm saying? Murdoch Mysteries, come on. That can't, that can't be the extent of your legacy. Power to you for Kim's convenience. Open them up more. Open them floodgates more. There's a lot of people here. You know, you got people from all over. We all could be included. It's not, it's not, it's not costing you anything in, in that way. You know, we, we're not more expensive. Our stories are not more difficult to tell or write. Our directors are not more difficult to train. 
etc. So come on now, come on now. Uh, you know, if you can have your old favorites, keep them, but open the floodgates over here too. Don't don't be funneling all your resources to more Mur Murdoch mysteries, cause I I don't understand what they be saying on Letter Kenny. <laughs> but if y'all enjoy that, go ahead and do it. I don't understand the language. I'm new, like I said. But open the floodgates over. If you're gonna have you some Letter Kenny and some Murdoch mysteries, you, you know it don't it don't it don't hurt to have Desmonds over here too. You know, mm. you know probably people be like, what's Desmond? Look it up. <laughs> So you mentioned the workshop that you're working on, the adaptation. Mm -hmm. What else is in the uh, in the pipeline? Oh, in the pipeline. Yeah, I think I am allowed to talk about. It. We took pictures, so I'm, I'm jumping back in with acting up as well. Right. Soon coming. We've got. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Have they mentioned it? I don't want to let the cat out the bag. Well, you can you can edit just in case. I'll take you it, check. I'll take you it check out if him. it hasn't been. Asked. Yes, you check with them. But Onegan, we're going to be doing Onegan, which is. Uh, a piece developed by uh, Vida Hilly and um, uh, Ami Gladstone oh, from okay. out on the West Coast. I saw that in Vancouver. Yes. Who so are you we're doing that piece. I'm playing Onegan. <gasps> we're doing that piece uh, here and in Ottawa. It's a it's a, it's a beautiful piece. It's a be I, I mean I love Vida and Ami anyway. They create nice. they create. We did the Craigslist musical together. Yeah, Ooh, acting up again. See mm -hmm. Mitchell and the crew like they know. Got the finger on the pulse. They know what time it is. They're evolving, evolving people. Now, uh, I don't know who else is in. Yes, I do. Peter's in there with me too. You don't make sure. Don't get me in no trouble, okay? Okay. I'm serious. Don't yes, get me no, in I'll make sure it's good. announced. Good, because Peter's in it now. So we doing Onegan. Yes, that's that's in the fall. Peter Fernandez. He didn't tell me that. He see, was here that's what see, day. that's what's making me go. Uh, I don't want to get in trouble. So if I, because he said we're gonna be, he sent me an email. We're gonna be working together again. I was like, uh, oh. Mm -hmm. So that's in the pipeline. And of course, I'm I'm making a lot of time for TV and film stuff too. So I just this week finished a two episode arc on Designated Survivor. Okay. That series here. I did an episode of Saving Hope in the in this fifth and final season that's coming out. And I did a, <laughs> I did a little. Did a little turn on uh, Baroness von Sketch. I don't know. Oh, Do you know God, that show? I love that show. Yeah, I did. A, I did a quick. I made an appearance on that series too. So I'm doing as much so on camera now that for I can. season two, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, I don't yes. Think I saw it's it. not out yet. No. Okay. Yeah, it's not out yet. So those are coming down the pipe. Saving Hope, uh, the, the Baroness von Sketch. Those ladies are crazy. <laughs> crazy. Even They're just amazing. be. Even just being on set, like you know, they just all. I'm like. Man, I love this energy. Y'all do your thing. I act because I was talking to one and I was like, Yeah, yo, this is your shit. Like, this is your show. I'm like, she's like, Yeah, yeah, it's stressful. I'm like, but but and she was like, But I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's your stuff. I'm like, it never even occurred to me that, hey, I could be making my own series right here in, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Wow, how do I do that? Floodgates. Floodgates. Are you interested in making your own work? Yes. Yes, I am. Do it. Yeah. Oh my God, that's scary. You're, ma you're making me quiver now. I'm like, I'm scared, but yes. What would it be? Would Maybe to. a TV show, write a play. What are you gonna do? Oh, there's there's pieces that have been floating around in my soul for a goodly while that I want I want adapted. Like there's pieces on Buddy. There's Buddy Bowden. I don't know what media. There's a book called Voodoo Dreams by Jewel Parker Rhodes that I think would make an awesome series of some sort. T I guess that would be TV film. I don't think you can squeeze it all into one film. But just telling that story, oh, so many pieces, so much art, and, and those both of those strange, well, not strangely, but are, are based out of they're based they're set in New Orleans. Those two are based on uh, New Orleans people, so that that kind of history of that area, you know, I mean, that has a lot of mystery to it. I've never been. I, I regret it. I wish I had been before the storm, but I need to get down there, pronto, ASAP, just. To smell, feel, hear, you know, because all I do is watch YouTube videos of Mardi Gras and Second Lines and, mm -hmm. you know, the artists from down there, the Neville Brothers, the Meters, the, oh, everybody, Professor Longhair, all that, just that energy. It's like, again, that shit, something that we share, like that some thread of Afri African vibe mixing mix with whatever we're getting over here on this side of the planet. And then it comes out in this kind of, this kind of stew, this kind of gumbo, this kind of jambalaya, all them words that we use and make up in different countries for this mishmash, you know, the, the mm -hmm. pot. Where people just throw stuff in the pot and then go, mmm, that is spicy, or mmm, that is sweet. Like, there's pieces of it that sing, they just sing to me all the time. Even, I've been listening to, when, when I was doing Parade, listening to um, uh, the prison, oh, the chain uh, prison gang song. yeah, prison, prison chants, and all, oh, some of them, like, they're on YouTube. There's tons. Uh, people went, Lomax went around and recorded a bunch, but there's so many recordings, and 
Like you list, it goes straight in. Like it goes straight to the guts. Like, sometimes you don't even understand what they're saying, but I listen to them over and they're like, oh, la, da, oh, yeah. oh, la. And the, just the harmonies they're making. And you know, this is just dudes, a bunch of guys banging railroad spikes on a train, trying not to work too fast because they probably drop because it's the heat of the sun. So they, they sing to keep the people off their backs. And you know, oh, well, these boys are entertaining me. So let them bang at whatever rate they want to bang. But you know, they're sweating their guts out, singing their hearts out. But the sound, the way it it, it hits. Yeah, man. So so many compelling stories. Like, it makes me ask questions. It makes me wonder about people in Canada. Like, what, from the time they came up from the Underground, underground Railroad, maybe es- escaped to Canada. And then what? Like, what's, what's the story? What happened? What, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm compelled. I want to know. Like, John Ware, how did you negotiate all of that? How did you, like, your family? And then what happened? Like, you passed. Him, him and his wife died early, but they had kids. What happened to the kids? They didn't have any kids. Nobody inherited their property. Did somebody do some, what do they used to call it, sterilization? Did they get adopted? They were put into the system. What happened to them? You know? So, I'm, like, there's so many pieces that I'm curious about. It's, sometimes there's stones that people don't want to turn over because, you know, it's kind of incriminating and uncomfortable. But, again, evolution, people. You know? Like, we know, we know about residential schools. Evolution. Admit it. Own up. No point trying to hide it. We know we know it's real. I see that commercial on my TV every time about my brother Chani didn't make it. I went to residential school. Chani didn't. Like I know Chani. I don't even. I'm from Bermuda. Mm-hmm. Been I've been here since 2007. I know the story of Chani, who was put in residential school and didn't like it and tried to escape. He didn't make it. A kid. I know that stuff. You can't keep throwing me Murdoch mysteries. You can't keep throwing me. It's a wonderful life, y'all. Come on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd like to add? Thank you very much for having me in. And, you know, and for com- I mean, you go to a lot of theater. You go to way more than I do. So, like, there's people like you that keeps it alive, keep us all working, keep us busy. So thank you for that as well. Well, thank you very much for coming in, for being so candid and awesome. Mm-hmm. Great. You're going to have swearing in it and everything. I'm long gone, I ain't sitting on your shelf. I have this place myself. I have this place myself. Well, 